Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, welcome, welcome. It is so good to see you. So proud of you for seeking God today. Whether you're with us online or here in the building, I'm just really honored to get to hang out. Hope your December's off to a good start. All the Christmas parties and meetings and Christmas shopping. Is your Christmas shopping going well? I don't know about you, last year, our Christmas shopping, and this year too, if I'm honest, it makes the front um, entryway of our house look a little bit like a Amazon distribution center. Anyone else have that going on? Uh, Last year, we were getting our boxes, and I opened one up, and it was someone else's stuff. Like, it had our name on it, but it was like a Batman shirt for a four-year-old boy, and I thought, oh, this is really a bummer for whoever this was supposed to go to, and you try with Amazon to get it to the right person. Turns out this happens quite a bit, so, you know, make sure as your boxes are arriving from Target and Old Navy and everywhere you shop that that it's actually your stuff. Uh, I found some funny examples of people who got the wrong thing, or people who thought they ordered something, but the product was a little less than they expected. Here's the first one. This is the picture on Amazon that a mom saw, and she thought, that is such a cute dinosaur pillowcase. I'm going to get that for one of my kids. So she ordered it, and here is what showed up. It's a pillowcase that has printed on it the picture of the dinosaur with the child. I mean, I don't know what kind of weird person would want to sleep on that pillowcase, but turns out that kid was not a model in the picture that actually is the pillowcase. Similarly, someone else ordered some knit, uh, like a woven knit pillow. Looked really nice, and the pillow arrived. I don't know if you can see this, but that knit is not real. That is just printed onto the pillow. Not quite what they were expecting. Here's one from Old Navy. Uh, Box arrives, supposed to be full of clothes. It's full of 60 pounds worth of security tags. And a coupon. So, yeah, I was thinking about this one. I was thinking, how did that get out of the building without setting off a whole lot of alarms? Here's a good one. Check the dimensions on your products before you order them because someone thought they were getting a really, really screaming deal on this frying pan and turns out it was so cheap because it's like a miniature one. Similar, a little bit of uh, bait and switch with the ad for this panda bear. It looks real big. But it's not so big. I don't know about you, but when we got something that wasn't what we ordered, I felt a little bit betrayed. I felt a little bit violated. I think that's because a purchase, in a sense, is a little bit of a promise. You're making a deal with whoever you're buying from. You're like, I'm going to give you this money in exchange. And when they don't uphold their side of the promise, you feel kind of slighted. I don't know if you've ever felt that way with online ordering, or maybe you've felt that way in life. I think we've all had some times in life where we feel like what's happening in my family, or with my health, or with my job, or with my school, or just in my life, this isn't what I ordered. This is something different. This must be for someone else, because what's been delivered to me isn't what I ordered 
That's how I felt and how my wife Mel felt this week, 11 years ago. I don't know if you ever do this. I was scrolling through pictures, and this week, 11 years ago, here was our living room. Uh, If you look really closely on the left, you'll see Mel on the couch, and on the right, you see Jack, our oldest. And we were a family of three. It was the three of us. And in the picture, it looks kind of like a quaint Christmas setting, just like most of your homes do right now. But the reality is that underneath that image, there was a lot of difficulty going on. Um, I had walked away from a really good job in journalism. We had left our home in Scottsdale, Arizona, and moved up to the mountains to this little church. And pretty soon after starting to pastor, I started to have um, this health condition. It's called a hemiplegic episode. It's like the symptoms of a stroke. And sometimes I'd have to be taken to the hospital for it. So that part of life felt out of control. But simultaneous with that, as we were trying to grow our little family, we had had a miscarriage, a lost pregnancy before Jack. And then after Jack was born, we had a, another pregnancy that doesn't work out. It's called an ectopic pregnancy. And for any of you who've lost a pregnancy, or especially more than one, uh, I watched my beautiful wife go through this kind of daily trauma, because when you're doing everything right, you're eating the right stuff, and you're resting, and yet you lose the pregnancy, you start to live every day wondering when you do get pregnant, like, when's the hammer going to fall? When's this one not going to work out? And it was this time in our life where it was just emotionally low and God felt so far away. I remember especially a moment where we were sitting in our car in the parking lot of the hospital where we had just been told that this next pregnancy, we were so excited to be pregnant again that it was an ectopic pregnancy and would not work out. And I just remember feeling like God was so far away. Uh, Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're, you know, you're trying to do the right things uh, or things are just happening out of your control and maybe you still believe in God, you still love God, but he just feels so far away. I don't know if any of you can relate to any of those feelings, but that's where we were and I think that's where we all find ourselves in some seasons of life if we're honest and we try to do that here at Connection Point. We're just real about life here. I wonder for you, what difficulty stands between you and the goodness of God right now? What, what thing you feel like, maybe you still believe God's good, but there's some barrier between you and really uh, experiencing and feeling the goodness of God right now? Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's just suffering. Maybe it's some kind of struggle. Maybe you feel alone. We're going to lean into this together today, and we're going to seek to answer this question. When you're hurting, and when God seems distant, what can you do? What can you do when God just feels distant, or when you're suffering, when you're struggling? I mean, if I could tell you today from the Word of God how to experience God in your suffering, in what you're going through right now, would you want to know what God says about this? Well, as we do here every weekend, we open up the Word of God and we find that there are answers, meaningful answers to these kind of questions about life. And we're going to find the start of the answer to this question here in God's Word in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, interestingly, 2 Peter is a book of the Bible that was written to believers who were suffering. Um, They were being arrested for worshiping Jesus. Some were being beaten. They were being persecuted. 
And in the middle of that, Peter, who was one of Jesus' close disciples, writes to them and he says this, grace and peace be yours. You can have a peace, an abundant peace, he says, peace in abundance. How? Through the knowledge, through knowing God. In other words, the more you know God, not religion, but relationship, the more you have a relationship where you're talking with God, you're experiencing God, the more you'll know peace. And the less you know God, the less you will know peace. And this is the kind of peace that can work even when you're suffering. It's supernatural. It's above your circumstances. So what these people receiving this letter knew was that that kind of supernatural peace only happens through Jesus. And I want to encourage you today, if you've never called out to Jesus in a life-defining way to say, Jesus, be my peace, be my salvation, be what's missing in my life, you can do that right now. You can call out to him like that. And then after you call out to him to be your savior, to be your peace, in this world, you can constantly experience more of it. And verse 4 of this chapter is going to tell us how. It's tucked in here, the answer to our question. What can you do when you're suffering? How do you experience God when he seems far away? Verse 4 says this. He has given us, all who believe and seek him, his very great and precious promises. If you've got your Bible open, you can circle those two words or you could take a picture of this because those two words, precious promises, might seem simple, but we're going to see they're incredibly profound. This is the secret to experiencing God's peace no matter what you're going through, his very great and precious promises. Look at the second part of this sentence. Through them, that is through God's promises, he has promises for you, through them, you can participate in or you can experience the divine. That is the all-powerful creator who stands outside of time. He stands over governments. He stands outside of the laws of physics. He created all those things. He's unlimited. And he has this peace no matter what because he knows he wins in the end. And you can tap into that. You can participate in that through his promises. Let me state the same thing in reverse because it's a little bit profound. If you don't know God's promises, you won't fully know the victory that is yours as a believer in him. Even if you believe in him and he loves you and he's guiding you, if you don't know his promises, you're going to miss out on experiencing this divine nature. Very simple truth. No matter where you are in your journey, I want to make sure you know this today. If you're hurting God has a promise for you. If you're lonely today, if you're struggling, if you're confused, no matter what's going on in your life, God has a promise for you. And if you'll grab hold of it with the hands of faith, it can lift you up above your circumstances. You might ask, well, John, what's what's my promise? Uh, In a movement the size of ours with thousands of people, God's word has thousands of promises and I want you to know God has a specific promise for you in his word his love letter to you the Bible let me give you an example of one of them this is a promise that applies to everyone who's trusted in Jesus for your salvation it's a prophecy from the prophet Jeremiah and we're told that through Jesus all the promises of God are yes and amen so it's true of us now and it says this I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, this verse does not say that you'll never go through suffering or difficulty, but when you do, you can claim the promise that God has good plans for you. In fact, this promise is really an emotional one for me because this is the promise that I held on to this week 11 years ago. When Mel and I, we were going through miscarriages and I was in and out of the hospital with health struggles and felt like we had given up so much to follow God and now life had gotten worse instead of better. But I just held on to this. God says he has good plans. And I'm going to trust that even though I don't feel it. And I'm going to cling to that when I can't hold on to anything else. You know, when you see that word plans, it makes me think of blueprints, like the plans for a building. And in this part of the country, we see new buildings going up all the time. And maybe you've noticed this, but let's just think about it for a moment. When there's a good plan for a beautiful new building, it's a messy process. They have to dig into the ground. There's mud. There's dirt. They have to lay the footers and the foundation. There's concrete. They bring in the lumber, and it has to be cut. It has to be sawn. Everything is going to look good in the end, but it's not a clean, simple process. And it's fun to watch the earth get moved, and then slowly you watch the building, and eventually it's painted, and the glass goes in, and it's gleaming, and it's beautiful. Now, that's God's promise about the end as you keep seeking him. But there will be some times where you feel like you're getting dug up, torn up, cut up in life. And that's when you hold on to his promises. You know, sometimes as we hold on to God's promises, he shows us his faithfulness in our circumstances. Other times, we wait for his faithfulness in the next life that we're going to outlive these bodies. Now, as Mel and I held on to this promise 11 years ago, uh, it was not long after that our daughter Zoe came along. And that was a pregnancy that by God's grace... um, He sustained all the way through those nine months. Here's Zoe today. And when I see her, her name means life. And she reminds me that God's the giver of life, that he's got good plans, even when we go through seasons of difficulty. Lately at bedtime, Zoe's been asking me this question. Dad, give me three hints about my Christmas presents. Every night she wants three hints, and it's this little game. I have to figure out how to give her three hints that are very generic, such as, you know, you're going to like them. Um, They're a little more expensive than what your friends could probably buy for you at school, and uh, you'll get to open them on December 25th. There's your three hints, okay? Are you satisfied? It's always been asking me night after night, what are my presents? I've realized for a kid who grows up in a healthy, predictable home, They know that on December 25th, there's going to be Christmas presents. Christmas presents are a promise, aren't they? I mean, these kids know every year of my life, there's something under the tree for me on December 25th. It's a promise. It's a promise we parents work really hard to keep. Did you know that the first Christmas was a promise that just like my daughter Zoe, she's anticipating What's it going to be? When, you know, what exactly? In the same way, God gave 300 promises about the Messiah. That the Messiah who would save the world from evil and death and racism and sin, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem. 
uh, all these specific ways, even down to the specifics of how he would give his life as a payment for our sin, that none of his bones would be broken, but that he'd be pierced for our transgressions. Uh, All these specific promises, and it's almost like 300 gifts under a Christmas tree, and the nation of Israel, the people of God, were rightly asking, when's it going to be, who's it going to be, what's it going to look like? And in the Christmas story, we're going to see God keep his promises to a nation and actually to all nations. We're also going to see God keep his promises to a teenage girl named Mary who didn't sign up for it, but because she's a person who loves God and was believing in his promises for a Messiah, God chooses her to get to play this extraordinary role in the story. My same daughter Zoe this last week asked, she said, what do you think Mary felt like? I thought, man, well, that is such a great question. I was not asking those kind of questions when I was your age. What do you think Mary felt like? I mean, we know that her fiancé, Joseph, once he found out that she was pregnant, he planned to break up with her until God intervenes and sends an angel to talk him out of it. I would guess that his mom, her future mother-in-law, probably still didn't like the idea that she was pregnant and it happened by God. Right? I'm guessing that in her little village, there were people, there were rumors, there was a lot of negativity that had to be going on. But God gave her some promises, and we're going to study today how she clung on to his promises even through suffering. Here in Luke 1, verse 35, we get the moment where the angel, an angel, shows up in her bedroom in the middle of the night. And it's not a hallucination. It's a real supernatural being. And he says, you know Messiah's coming. You're going to be his mom. And Mary asks, she says more or less, hey, I've had the talk, the birds and the bees. I've not done that thing. There's no way I can be his mom. And the angel says, well, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, God's going to place this baby in your womb, so the baby to be born will be holy. That means no sin nature. Every one of us and all our cute kids are born with a sin nature. That's why they lie sometimes. That's why humans cheat and steal and everything else. Apparently, men, this is passed down through us. Because the Messiah needs to not have a human dad so that he won't have a sin nature. So God miraculously places this baby into the womb of Mary. And this angel gives her this promise. I mean, think about this. Mary does not know what the next 33 years of her life are going to look like. God doesn't give her all the detail. She probably wouldn't have been able to handle it all, just like we couldn't. But he does say this, your child will be called the son of God. Your child will be uh, divinely placed in your womb, and your child will be the Messiah. And Mary believes this. We know this. If you read all of Luke 1 and 2, Mary believes it, and she holds on to it through a lot of difficulty. I don't know, have you ever been in, in a situation where the only thing you can hold on to is a promise someone gave you? Uh, Most of us who've been in the hospital, we know this feeling. If you're in the hospital, you're in severe pain. The pain is all you can think about. And a doctor or a nurse comes and says, hey, you know, we're going to knock you out. We're going to give you something for that pain. In that moment, you're clinging to that. Like, please, please bring that soon. And that's all you can hold on to. Most of us have had at least one time in life where a promise was the only thing we could hold on to. 
Uh, this happened to me when I was about 13 years old. I was riding my BMX bike in the woods, and I thought I'd go off this huge jump, and I wiped out on it, and I got a concussion, and I kind of tore my jaw apart a little bit, and my buddies limped me to the closest house, and, and they called my dad. And I remember sitting on the front porch of these poor people. 13-year-old kid shows up, bloody face. And I remember sitting on that porch, and because of the concussion, it was all a little blurry, and it's all a little hazy, but I just remember that my dad was coming. And I remember sitting there just like that was all I could hold on to in that moment. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't do much, but I knew that my dad was coming. That's what it is to cling to a promise. And God says, I've given you these things that you can hold on to, but are you? Do you know them? Do you know the promises of God for you? Are you holding on to them? Uh, by the way, if you ever think I'm a little kooky, that's one of a few times that I've had a really bad concussion and gone to the hospital and don't remember much of it. So I blame that. But look what Mary's going to go through here in Luke 2. At that time, so Joseph decides not to break up with her. He stays with her. But this Roman Emperor Augustus decrees a census over all the Roman Empire. That includes them. And by the way, here's a picture of one of these guys. These rulers that are listed in the Christmas story, I just want you to know their names are historically valid from non-Christian ancient manuscripts and artifacts from the world. These are real people who lived. And these are real places. You can go to Bethlehem and you can visit there today. Nazareth, all these cities. So the Christmas story, it's not a myth. Didn't come from the North Pole. It's this real history. And one of these real emperors um, says, I'm going to do this big census. So verse 3, everyone has to go back to essentially where their ancestors are from. What that means, verse 4, is Joseph, he's descended from David, from Bethlehem. He has to go back to Bethlehem. So he travels there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. That means Mary has to go as well. Now, this is an uncomfortable journey. You've probably seen some movies or other renditions of this. But think of how uncomfortable it is to be pregnant. And men, let's just think of the people we love and we've seen them be pregnant, okay? We can't pretend to know how difficult it is. But I know from seeing my wife, especially month eight, month nine, I mean, as the due date's getting close, it's just uncomfortable, you could be in a perfect lazy boy, and it's just uncomfortable. You could be in a, you know, a Lexus or a Rolls Royce. It's uncomfortable. Mary's not on any of those things. She's on a donkey. And this donkey's clomping along, going over rocks on a dirt road. God's keeping his promise, but it's not comfortable. Look at verse 5. He took Mary with him, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting so she's getting so close. And here's the thing. If you put yourself in Mary's position, one, it's physically uncomfortable, but God's still keeping his promise. Two, it's emotionally, relationally uncomfortable. Because for my wife, Mel, and every woman I've been close to, as I've seen them go through pregnancy, when it comes time for the birth, they want their mom or their sisters or their female cousins, people they know who've had babies, especially with the first baby, they want those people around. Mary doesn't have those people around. She's got her husband who's clueless. I imagine I was. And she's got this promise from God. Let me just say this real quick. When your life takes a different path than you want, when you're powerless to change it, 
when an evil force, an evil person, or a bad decision makes your life path change, right? These were evil emperors in Rome. God will still keep his promises to you. God has a way of working it all together. Even though he's not the author of evil, he can take what other people mean for evil and he can work it for good. Verse six, while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. I'm not gonna overdo this, but just think, if I'm Mary, I have to go to Bethlehem. I get to Bethlehem, I'm on a donkey, it's packed with people. It's like Indianapolis during the Super Bowl or during the Indy 500. You can't get an Airbnb, you can't get a hotel room. Everything's full. And you're, you're pregnant, you're about to give birth to your baby, you're in this unfamiliar city, it's crowded with people. If I'm Mary, I'm thinking, we're just going to get through this. Like, God, please let the baby not come, please let us get back to Nazareth, back to my mom, back to the people I know. Like, please just don't let this baby come while we're here in Bethlehem. I have to imagine that was her heart, and yet one day her water breaks, In verse 7, she gives birth to her firstborn son. There's not a lot of resources around, so they wrap him in some strips of cloth. They're in the stables for the animals because there was nowhere to stay. And so they place him actually in the feeding trough. This is like the cows are eating out of it yesterday. Today the baby's laying in there. But God's keeping his promise promise from 700 years ago in Micah 5 verse 2 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Promise to Mary that her son would be called the son of God and the savior of the world. And actually the difficulty for Mary is going to get even worse. And we're going to see that she keeps clinging to God's promises through the difficulty. Now this next part is going to sound horrific. It is horrific. It is a historic reality because the Christmas story is a spiritual war between good and evil, between God and Satan, between life and death. And so these Roman emperors, as Satan, we're going to see in a little bit, he's invisible to us, but he's a very real player. He's a main character in the human story. Satan does not want the Messiah to grow up and essentially defeat him. And so Satan gets in the mind of one of these Roman emperors who's very jealous, and when he hears, oh, there's a new king of the Jews born, he sends out soldiers to Bethlehem on a genocide mission, and they kill every baby boy under the age of two. Here's an ancient painting that depicts this. Now, right before this happens, God warns Joseph in a dream, and he says, Mary, we got to pack up. God's telling us that danger's coming, and they go to Egypt, and, and Jesus is saved. He's spared. Horrific evil still happens, not because God sent it, but because of Satan. And my point is this. Can you imagine what Mary's feeling through this whole process? I mean, running for your life from a Roman emperor who wants to kill your baby, that makes the people in your village talking, you know, bad gossip about you seem really small. Mary's life is not an easy life. But we're told in verse 19 of chapter 2 that through all these difficulties, she treasured and pondered the promises of God. Look at this. But Mary treasured up all these things. What's all these things? If you read Luke 2, it's um, the 300 prophecies from the Old Testament prophets. It's the words from the angels. It's the shepherds and the wise men coming to see. It's all of that. She's focusing on there's a lot of evil happening. There's a lot of unpredictable happening. But I know these things where God has showed up. And I treasure those things because 
Frankly, that's probably the only thing she could hold on to some days. She treasured them. She pondered them in her heart. What does the heart mean in the Bible? Uh, It's not just the organ that pumps your blood. It's the intersection of your thoughts and your emotions. So when your emotions say, I'm afraid, she would, with her heart, then ponder, but God said this would be the Messiah who would save the world. So somehow God's going to get us through this. Somehow God's going to provide a way. Mary experienced God in her difficulty, in her trial, because she remembered his promises. And you can do the same with whatever you're going through today. Here's what I want you to know today. God's promises are the secret to rising above the turmoil of your circumstances. So whatever you're going through, God wants to lift you up above it. And you can almost look down at yourself like, oh, wow, look at that guy. He's struggling, but he's trusting in God. She's hurting, but she's, she's going to get through this. You can get lifted up above your circumstances. How? It's by the promises of God. And it doesn't mean that your circumstances magically instantly change. But you get this supernatural peace even in them. Put another way, you can participate in God-like higher-level living. This sounds a little mystical. But if you were to really study 2 Peter 1.4, which we read earlier, this is really a paraphrase of a sentence there. Remember God said you can participate in the divine nature through his very great and precious promises. You can experience God-like higher-level living only by knowing and claiming the promises of God. So there are things that you and I will go through in life. Like what me and Mel went through 11 years ago, we've been through other stuff. Since then, guess what? We'll go through lots of other stuff from now until we get to heaven, and so will you. You're going to go through that stuff no matter what. The question is, in it, will you experience higher level living by knowing and claiming the promises of God? Or will you be ignorant of God's promises, not grab onto them, and just have to suffer through it without hope? I hope you'll choose today. To say, I want to be a person who knows and claims the promises of God so that I can participate in what he's doing and experience him. If you'll do that, here's what you'll find. God still keeps his promises. God still keeps his promises. You know, 11 years ago, another one of the promises that I was holding on to was a verse in Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus gives a promise. It's called a conditional promise. If you do this, I'll do that. And Matthew 6, 33 is this. If you'll seek first the kingdom of God in this world, then I will provide everything you need. And in that moment, I felt like, well, God, I gave up my job and a whole bunch of other stuff to seek first you, and now my life is worse, but you promised that if I seek first your kingdom, all my needs will be met. And now here I am 11 years later, and I look back, and I say, wow, God kept that promise. God keeps all his promises. It doesn't mean life's without pain, but Christmas itself is a promise kept by God. And think about this. Mary and all the believers before her, they didn't get to look back to Christmas like we do. They would look back to the Red Sea and other miracles God had done. But God, at Christmas, planted a flag in the timeline of human history. He planted it so deeply that our calendar's based on it. Every atheist signs their checks, and when they date their check or write their date on their taxes, the zero, if you go back, is Jesus being born in Bethlehem. 
And we get to look back and say, wow, God kept 300 promises to people who lived through difficulty and suffering and persecution, and the story's not over, and he's going to keep his promises again to us who seek him now. And this God, he's never blocked by evil. It's a struggle. We see evil. We see Satan thrashing and flailing and doing all the destruction he can. We see it in racism. We see it in war. We see it in cancer. We see it in every expression of evil. Satan's still very real, but God wins. And you got to know that. The unreliable people in your life, the powerful people who are against you, even the forces of hell itself, they cannot stop the work of God in your life. All you've got to do is claim his promises. This whole story started at the very beginning, very, very beginning. Uh, Earlier we saw highlighted in one of the verses, her offspring. Uh, Let's look at this in Genesis 3. It said Mary, it was her baby, not Joseph's baby. This is kind of a weird moment, but but check this out. Take yourself here, okay? What's happening in this verse? You've got three A-list celebrities of human history, okay? God himself, Satan, A-list in that he's well-known, okay? And you've got Eve, Adam and Eve, as in the Garden of Eden. And we're, we're hopping into a moment here at the beginning of the human story, right after Eve and Adam have messed everything up. How, why did they mess everything up? I'm gonna do this real quick, but, but think about this, Okay? Satan told them to not trust God's promises. That's the whole reason evil's in the world. If you know the story, and you can study it in Genesis 3, Satan comes to Eve. Um, They have immortal bodies that will never get sick. There's no racism, there's no war, there's no death. Satan comes to Eve, and he says, did God really say that? Can you really trust what God has said? And then Satan says this, and it's nine parts true what he says, but there's just a, a deceptive portion to it. God has only exposed you to the knowledge of good. He's holding out on you. He hasn't given you the knowledge of evil. True. God hadn't given them the knowledge of evil. Because the word knowledge in the Bible doesn't just mean to know about. It means to experience. And Satan says, essentially, don't you want to have the knowledge of good and evil? Don't you want to experience evil? And he lures Eve into opening this door on human history that allows evil to come rushing in. Eve and Adam chose evil. And so death and cancer and divorce and murder and rape and every kind of pain and suffering comes flooding into humanity because of this deception that they couldn't trust God. And we still have the same spiritual battle in our hearts every day. Do I really trust God? And Satan still whispers in our ears, don't trust him. There's more that he's he's holding out on you. You can do better without him. But every time humans try to live life without him, it ends up worse instead of better. In that moment, after Adam and Eve have invited evil and it comes flooding into planet Earth, uh, the Bible tells us the planet itself is broken, like geologically animals are broken. We're broken. That's why we die. We're broken. That's why we hurt the people we love. And in that moment, I imagine tears in the eyes of Eve. God is talking. And here he's actually talking to Satan. And Eve is standing there. And he says, Satan, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. In other words, well, let's keep reading it. Between your offspring 
and her offspring. So Satan is a fallen angel in the unseen realm. You might say, well, John, that sounds kooky, but here's the thing. Look at human history and tell me there's not evil in the world. Look at racism and rape and murder and genocide and tell me there's not evil in the world. Evil comes from this unseen realm that is incredibly real, even though our eyes don't see it. And what God says is, Satan, your whole offspring, which is the demonic realm, will forever be in conflict with humanity. In fact, it's so extreme that in the New Testament, God says this, before you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you're uh, in chains, spiritually, you're in bondage, you're a slave to Satan. The demons in the unseen realm are moving people around to do their evil work in the world, which is what? To kill, steal, and destroy. And as Adam and Eve are there, likely weeping, just realizing, what have we done? God essentially says to Satan, you're going to be allowed to cause some pain, but ultimately I'm going to send a Messiah. And this is in the second half of this verse. Look at this. Her offspring... Now, you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to get this, but here's the deal. Offspring is the word seed, which is a male thing, not a female thing. And so this is really weird the way it's written, and it's on purpose. There's going to be someone born from a woman without a man involved thousands of years before Christmas. God says this. And this person who's born of a woman without a man involved, Satan, you might get to bruise the heel of humanity. You might cause some pain, but he's going to deliver a knockout blow to you. He's going to strike you in the head. Some unexpected Christmas promises in this text. One, you will have trouble in this world. Jesus actually said in John chapter 10, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So whenever trouble comes into your life, Satan's going to whisper, you can't trust God. God's doing this to you. God's against you. When actually the trouble in our lives most often traces back to that moment in the Garden of Eden and Satan is the source of real evil in the world. Oh yeah, sometimes there's things we do to ourselves. We get in debt or whatever. We make a bad decision. But the real evil that we experience in our own sin nature and other people's choices traces back to Satan. God also promises there that he will overthrow Satan. But make no mistake, it is a violent struggle between good and evil. And God promises that he'll deliver peace and not only peace, but eternal life. That's a real thing. Just like Adam and Eve had physical bodies that were perfect in a Garden of Eden, for all who trust in Jesus, there's an eternal life. You'll have a physical body. You're not going to be some floating orb. And there will be food that you can eat, and it'll be amazing, and you won't get sick, and you won't die. He's going to make all things right. And just like a Christmas present, it's free. You don't earn it, but you do have to choose to open it. It's for all who believe. Well, after Mary, descended from Eve, gives birth to this Messiah, Jesus, he grows up, and spoiler alert, he dies on the cross for the sins of the world, and to prove that he can defeat Satan and death and sin, he takes the consequences for our sin, and then he rises from the dead to prove that he can defeat death, and then he launches the movement that we're part of today, the largest movement in human history. 
Did you know one out of three people in the world today claims to be a Christian? That's more than two billion people, bigger than any movement ever in the history of the world. And as that movement is getting launched, one of Jesus' disciples writes a book of the Bible and he says, pretty much, here's the summary of human history from Adam and Eve until now. This is great, two sentences. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. And he continues till, until Christ returns a second time. Um, Satan will keep sinning. The reason the Son of God appeared, so here's what Christmas is all about, was to destroy the works of the devil. And if you understand the power of evil in your life, if you understand death, if you understand suffering, man, for me, that's an emotional thing. The destruction of evil has begun. And now, just like Mary got to see God be faithful, we get to see God be faithful as he continues. He's in the process of keeping his promises. He's in the process of eradicating evil from the human story. Christmas is proof that God keeps his promises. And it's a reminder. You and I get to choose like Mary chose. God's going to do Right, and he's going to win in the end, whether I believe in him or not, whether I choose to be part of it or not. It's way bigger. But I get this opportunity to claim his very great and precious promises and in so doing participate in God's victory. And I can start to see that in my emotions and in my relationships, but ultimately I'm going to see it, we're going to see it when Jesus returns I want to tell you a story about a guy named Robert Kearns. Here's his picture. And I'll just say there's two things you can text here. I want to give you some time while I'm telling this story. If you're here and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, you don't know for sure that you have eternal life, text the word believe to us. You can also come up front after and see a pastor. You can leave here today knowing that you've been made right with God and your sins are forgiven. If you're here and you're seeking God, but you don't have a Bible, which is really the collection of God's promises, we'll give you one. It's the same one I preach from, and it's got all sorts of promises listed in the back. You can look up sickness and death and all sorts of things and find your promise for that. And if you want one of those, text the word Bible. So Robert Kearns was an engineer and an inventor. And um, at the time he lived, windshield wipers on cars had two speeds, Fast and off. Windshield wipers were like, you know, they were like, a, they were like a young boy, pretty much, after eating a lot of sugar. Run and sleep. Those are the two speeds. No, no middle speeds. Well, he came up with this invention. He invented this device. Today we call it the intermittent wiper. Long word for saying you can make your windshield wiper go slower for slower rain. And he patents it, which means that with the government, he owns this idea. And then after he patents it, he takes it to Ford. And Ford looks at it and they say, ah, no thanks. And then one year later, all Fords have these windshield wipers. They stole his invention. Well, he goes on to sue them. And maybe some of you have seen the movie that uh, kind of depicts his life. It's called Flash of Genius. He sues them for 30 years. And essentially, the lawyers from Ford, one day they tell him this guess what? The Ford Motor Company is going to outlive you. You can like refile and you can keep trying to sue us for the rest of your life. But even if we die, Ford Motor Company existed before you were born. And Ford Motor Company will go on after you're dead. And so what's the point of trying to fight something so big? Well, he's stuck with it. He ends up 
winning in the 1990s a $10 million judgment against Ford. The sad part of the story is it destroyed his family. He just, he was so single-minded about winning. He finally gets his money, and then he gets dementia, and then he dies. And essentially, those attorneys, they were right. Ford Motor marches on. So big. You know, this is a little bit profound, but hang, hang with me because I think it's, it's going to encourage you. There are certain institutions, for lack of a better word, that outlive us. Uh, Purdue, IU, Ohio State, University of Michigan. What's our draw to these things? There's a lot of reasons, but part of it is that thing was there before I was born. That thing will be there after I'm gone. Any institution that outlives people and continues to exist has to be keeping some promise. So in the case of Ford, the promise is, if you buy one of our cars, it'll get you from point A to point B most of the time, okay? As we said growing up in Michigan, Ford means found on road dead. But I don't mean that. I love Ford. They've got some great products, so I'm not against Ford. But that's why it continues and it outlives people. Uh, by the way, did you know that this church, not just the whole movement of Jesus, thousands of years old, but Connection Point, is 185 years old. In that sense, it's an institution. It's older than Ohio State University, I'd like to point out. It's older than actually all those universities I mentioned. It's older than Ford Motor Company. It's older than the state of Indiana. And it'll outlive us because uh, this is a place that faithfully teaches the word of God and connects people to Jesus. Now, you're like, John, what does this have to do with promises? You go to a bank and you give them your money. You realize you're doing that when you go to a bank. You're giving them your money because you're trusting them to keep their promise. And so hopefully it's a bank that's been around for a little while, and hopefully it's a bank that will outlive you. If you look at all those kind of institutions, Ford Motor, universities, currency like the U.S. dollar is a promise on a piece of paper. None of those are older than a few hundred years old. Nations rise and fall. Things change in the world. There's this one institution that has been keeping its promises, not just for a few hundred years, not just for a few thousand years, but from the moment humanity began, God has been keeping his promises. And here's the thing. If he didn't, the movement would go away. If, if Ford starts making cars where none of them really run, Ford will go away. Why does Christianity keep growing? Why do millions more people join the movement every year? Because this God is real. And he keeps his promises. Second Corinthians 1 puts it this way. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. It's not, well, he'll keep some of his promises, but you never know. Maybe that's one he's not going to keep. No, as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. Jesus always does what he says. I'm going to give you one real short closing picture of this. When I was a kid, I uh, went out with some friends, and they taught me to water ski. And if you've never water skied, here's what a tow rope looks like. Looks real peaceful here, floating in still water, but let me tell you this. With all the other boats going around, you get all these waves, and your first time in the water, here's what it looks like. You're literally, you're literally kind of like under the water. Your life jacket's holding you up. And again, that's pretty peaceful water right there, but you get the waves coming from all the other boats, the chop. And when the boat starts to pull you, water looks gentle, but water's a, it's heavy, it's dense, it's powerful. And you start to get pulled by that thing, and you really have like one of two, well, three options. One is you let go. The other two options are you hold on, and if your ski tips aren't pointed up, you just go under. (laughs) 
And, and it hurts. There's all these like forces against you. But if you can keep those tips up over the water, they start to hydroplane on top of the water and take some core strength. You got to hold on tight. And as you keep those tips up and you just keep kind of like believing and holding on and you're pointed up, it keeps pulling you and eventually you get up on top and you start to plane. And those waves that were beating you in the face, they're underneath you. And you start to skip along on top of them. God says, I, I'm giving you in this world of chop and waves and turbulence, I'm giving you promises to hold on to. And if you hold on to them and if you'll point your vision upwards, I will lift you up over what you're going through. I told you where I was 11 years ago. Here's the family God's entrusted to us today. And when I see this picture, I don't just see the three cute kids and a beautiful wife. That's true. But what I see is the faithfulness of God, a God who always keeps his promises. And so if you're here, whether for the first time or as a, uh, a rededication, if you're saying, I choose to believe the promises of God, would you stand with me just as a way of saying, I I'm standing if I believe the promises of God. If you're not there yet, that's fine. We're not going to judge you. But if you're believing the promises of God, it's good to physically be like, yes, God, I believe your promises. Father, in this place, for those gathered with us online, we just acknowledge there's a lot of waves in our life. There's a lot of turbulence, evil forces and other things. And we look back at your faithfulness to Mary, your faithfulness to your people, your faithfulness to humanity. And we remind ourselves today that you always keep your promises. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit through our small groups and through your word, lead every person in this, in this moment who's calling out to you, lead them to your promise for them in this season. You have plans to prosper, plans uh, of a good future and a hope. So Lord, right now we hold on to those promises and we point our eyes upward. The battles we're in, they belong to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.